0: Well, again, if you would, uh, take out your Bible and let's turn to Luke chapter 1. And today we'll be looking at verses 68 through 79. As I mentioned, this uh, text is, is the same as what we had just sung. So now we'll read it together. So Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 68. Again, this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horde of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our Father and to remember his holy covenants, whereby the sunrise shall, shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the, into the way of peace. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reading of your word. We pray, God, now that you would bless the preaching of the word. We ask that you be with this, your servant. We pray that your word is rightly proclaimed and understood. Give us ears to hear. May we see your truth. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. No, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can be prone to worrying about how things are going to work out. I have a feeling, though, I'm not alone. In fact, this is not anything new, for believers throughout history have felt tinges of anxiety about the course of life in this fallen world. But why else would Jesus need to remind the disciples to not be anxious for anything? You and I, though, serve a God who has determined the end from the beginning. There is nothing which takes place in the world which comes as a surprise to our God because he is in control of all things. We don't have to wring our hands with worry about the mess that the world is in, but we can rest. You may ask, well, what is the basis for this restful and worry-free life you speak of? Well, simply that God is in control and always keeps His promises. God always keeps His promises. This is what Zechariah's song is about. God had promised from of old that He would redeem His people now, and that redemption was at hand. Now it has come. This is, in many respects, the same message that uh, we had seen last week from the song of Mary, as she declares in her song, that the Redeemer of Israel was here. Salvation has now come. Now Mary, you may recall from uh, last week, had gone to visit her cousin Elizabeth and shortly before her departure, Elizabeth bore the son that had been promised to her and to Zechariah. Now, Zechariah was a priest of God. He was, uh, Luke 1, 8, 9 tells us, "...serving as priest before God when his division was on duty. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense." And so Zechariah was a priest and he had been serving at the temple. And it was during that service in the temple that the angel of the Lord appeared to him to let him know that he and his wife would have a son whose name was to be called John and who would go in the spirit and the power of Elijah as a forerunner of the Messiah. And so it was that on the occasion of John's birth, Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. And he sang this song of praise and prophecy whose main theme is that God has provided the promised Savior. But that Savior was not his son was not John. That was not who the Savior was. John had a different role. John was to point to the Savior. John was to minister uh, as a in, in, the, in the Old Testament style of prophets. And so the song begins with the coming Redeemer, moves through the promises of God which are being fulfilled, and then ends with, the, with this new prophet who was now in Zechariah's arms, who would serve in the spirit of Elijah and would point to the king of kings and to the Lord of lords. And so Zechariah begins with this in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Now, at this point in the history of Israel, a number of centuries had passed since Israel had returned from the Babylonian captivity. And then many more centuries had gone by since the nation had endured slavery in Egypt. Israel had endured occupation from the Persians, from the Greeks. And now, at this point in history, while Zechariah sings this song, they were experiencing the occupation of the Roman Empire. Now, over the years, there had been revolts. But since the close of the Old Testament canon, there had been no no new word from the Lord it was at this time that the people of Israel were in dark gloom. This was, this was a hard season for Israel. They desired to be free again, to have their own king, to have their own nation. God was once again visiting his people. He had come to bring redemption. Notice the attention is drawn to the covenant themes of the Old Testament prophets. The Lord God of Israel is to be praised because once again, he is visiting his people with redemption. Once again, he is redeeming his people. In fact, it says a horn of salvation has been raised. The promise made to David that a descendant would sit on his throne forever and that the Redeemer would come from his house. The promise to Abraham that he would be the father of nations and that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. The fulfillment of these promises were now at hand. God has raised a horn of salvation. But you may wonder, what is significant about a horn? Why a horn of salvation? Well, a horn is a symbol of power. The horn is a symbol of power. A salvation in power has been raised. It is here that the question must be asked though, As the people are in gloom, they're, they're being occupied, what sort of salvation... Does Zechariah have in mind? What is he talking about? Again, Israel is suffering. They had suffered many centuries since David was their king. Enemies had surrounded them on every side. They had been attacked. They had been defeated. They had been destroyed. They are occupied. They are under the shackles of the Roman Empire, even as Zechariah sings. Was the nation to be saved from the hand of Rome by this Horn of Salvation? Is this what Zechariah means when he says that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us? Well, the Horn of Salvation which has been raised was not merely political or earthly. Jesus didn't come primarily to overthrow the pagan nation of Rome, although... The instrument of the church over the ensuing centuries did that very thing through the preaching of the gospel. He's bringing the whole world into conformity with himself, but the salvation which has come was spiritual in nature. God is coming to redeem His people, ultimately all people, Jew and Gentile alike, through the Redeemer. God has come to show mercy as He had promised through the fathers that He will remember His covenant. David had some of this salvation in 2 Samuel 22. when the Lord delivered him from the hands of Saul. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. And my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. Zechariah's use of horn of salvation points us to the Davidic promises, power which would arise from the house of David and which Psalm 132 promised would sprout a great horn. The horn of salvation spoken of here is not earthly conquest. No, but, but but salvation from guilt and the power of sin. Because all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. God is raising the power of salvation, the the horde of salvation is being raised and found in a person, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. It is Christ who is the true prophet, priest, and king. It is Christ who is the only redeemer of God's elect. It is Christ who is God and man and able to save to the uttermost. In Christ all power and authority and might is found. For our sake He made Him to be sinned who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The great power demonstrated in the Lord Jesus Christ is that He came into this world to be Himself the sin offering, to pay the ransom price for the people, to redeem us from the curse which has fallen on this world. The justifying work of God is by grace through faith in Christ. Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, He is the horn of salvation which has risen out of the house of David and of which Zechariah now sings. It is in Jesus Christ that the believer has redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus came to save sinners, of which we must each admit we are. As Paul says, I am the chief sinner. All of us must admit that we are sinners. All of us must admit that we need redemption. Jesus came to redeem. Jesus came to transfer His beloved elect from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God. The redemption of God's people and the horn of salvation which has been raised. This had been spoken of by the prophets of the Old Testament. And so, Zechariah, you'll see in uh, in his song, he quickly connects the the coming salvation, this this horn of salvation which has now risen, he connects it to the covenant promises which had been spoken of out of the mouth of the prophets. Look, starting in verse 70. God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. You see, the Old Testament prophets speak clearly of the salvation which would come from the house of David. They speak clearly of a mighty king who would come. Consider the prophecy from Isaiah, which often is read in this season. For to to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This mighty king who came was to come from the house of David, he would be greater than David. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. He will be called Mighty God. He will be called Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. You see, even in the Old Testament, there's evidence for the full divinity and full humanity of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. This is just one of perhaps hundreds of prophecies and promises of the Old Testament which speak about Jesus. And even apart from the specific promises, it should be understood that the whole of the Old Testament points us to the salvation found in Jesus. All of the Old Testament, all of the scriptures speak of Christ. All of redemptive history, beginning in Genesis, uh, flowing through to the advent of Christ, and then to the return of the King once again. All of the Scriptures speak of Jesus. In fact, this is what Jesus taught of Himself after the resurrection. In Luke 24, 27, where it says, "...and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself." Why do they need to do that? Because, because it's all about Jesus. And Jesus is pointing out to them, all of this is speaking about me. All Scripture points us to Christ who would save us from our enemies and those who hate God's people. Zechariah, here in verse 71, uses the language of the Psalter. In Psalm 18, Seventeen. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. Or Psalm 106. So He saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. This port of salvation, which had been spoken of by the prophets of old, has come to save us from our enemies. Jesus conquers all of His and our enemies. But listen... These enemies are not flesh and blood. we've seen this already in our study of Ephesians. The enemies, the enemies of God's people, are rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Which is, to, which is to say, our enemies are the powers of sin, Satan, the host of wickedness, and the world system of evil. This is what Christ is defeating. This is what he's setting us free from. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that when, when the end comes, Christ will deliver the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under His feet. I want you to know and understand that Christ is a king. He's the great king. And he is subduing us to himself. He's ruling and defending us. And he is restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. No longer, no longer is the follower of Jesus a slave to sin. No longer is the believer exposed to the unrelenting assaults of the enemy. No longer is the Christian a rebel against the king. Those who are in Christ are subjects of the king as adopted children of God. The Christian is a new creature in Christ. He has been given new life. He's been enabled to worship the Lord without fear. It is here, starting in verse 74, that Zechariah speaks of the purpose of Christ's coming into the world. The purpose of this Redeemer. The enemies that are in the world, the cosmic powers of darkness and sin, are being defeated in Christ Jesus, who is the King. And this is brought about because of the great mercy of God, which had been promised To the fathers of old, in the Old Testament, our Old Testament forefathers, these were the, the recipients of God's covenant promises. These were the people who looked forward in anticipation to this day. But they didn't get to see it with their own eyes. But they believed by faith. God's covenant is rooted in his love and in his mercy. As the prophet Micah declares, who is a God like you? Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgressions for the remnant of his his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins in the depths of the sea. God's people from of old have been promised God's mercy. It's a, it's a major theme in the Old Testament. God's mercy. He shows mercy on whom He wills, and He is gracious to whom He wills. God delights to forgive His people, to renew them, to restore them, to show mercy on them, to heal their diseases, to, re- to redeem their life from the pits. It is God who crowns you with His love and with His mercy. In the Scriptures we see how God shows mercy and remembers His covenant which He made to Abraham. God's will was that redemption was to come through the line of Abraham. Through Him and through His seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. In fact, Abraham's name means the Father of Nations. Beloved, if you are trusting and resting in Jesus Christ as your Savior having been born again to new life in him, then you are the spiritual offspring of Abraham. You have been adopted into the family of God and you are part of that number which is greater than the stars of the night sky. This is the promise of God, his mercy and his grace poured out on undeserving and wretched sinners like you and me. Been snatched out of the kingdom of darkness. We've been brought into the kingdom of Christ. We we're made heirs of the promise. We we're made recipients of God's covenant blessings. And God had sworn this would would come to pass. God had promised this from of old. Zechariah now prophesies and sings as he's now on the precipice of those very promises being realized. God's purpose in redeeming the elect and adopting us as His dearly beloved children is so that you and I may serve Him in holiness and righteousness all of our days. He saves us to worship Him. To worship Him without fear. Look at verse 75. This, this is the great purpose of redemption. To fulfill man's chief end, which is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Sin has caused us not to fear the Lord. The sinner is neither holy nor righteous in and of themselves. In Adam, we had lost our original righteousness. The sinner is in the grip of the devil, bound. To the chains of lawlessness, but Christ has set us free so that we may serve the Lord without hindrance in holiness and true righteousness. Which is to say that the forgiveness of sin given in Christ is not merely to rescue you from hell. It's not only to rescue you from the power of the devil. But Christ's purpose ultimately was so that you would be made holy, so that you may worship the Lord clothed in the righteousness of Christ, for the purpose is his glory. It's because of Christ in his righteousness that you and I can come boldly before his throne of grace. No longer do we need to fear God's wrath. For God's wrath has already been poured out on His Son for us. He took our place. And as Romans, Paul says in Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Since Christ has redeemed all those who trust and rest in Him, Paul then asks the questions in Romans chapter 8, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? You see, the Christian has nothing to fear because there is nothing that is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate you from God. Because the followers of Jesus are children of God, justified, adopted, in the process of being sanctified so that you and I can stand before the Father without fear, covered From from guilt and shame by the blood of the covenant, and enabled to worship him in holiness, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Beloved, what a glorious redemption is ours in Christ. The Lord has delivered us from the hands of our enemies so that we may serve him without fear in holiness, in righteousness. This is glorious. We get to to worship the Lord all of our days without any fear. Which is also to say this, that the prize God has won for us is Himself. This is the great hope found in Jesus Christ. But what of Zachariah's own son. Remember, this is the occasion of Zechariah's birth. He's now son of the Redeemer who would come, but he does have a baby in his arm. And there's a portion that is dedicated to him as well. Look at verse 76. So he's speaking to, to uh, this child, John. He says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the lord to prepare his ways. You see John himself would grow up to be a prophet. He would come with a ministry making ready the path for the public ministry of the lord Jesus Christ. John was to be, Matthew 3.3 3 says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And Matthew also points out that John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. John was a wilderness prophet proclaiming to God's people the arrival of redemption. And his ministry was not one in which he would gather followers for himself. No, John's purpose was to decrease that Christ may increase. Mark one four says John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance from sins, or of repentance and forgiveness of sins. He came to give the knowledge of salvation to the people. He called them to repent for the kingdom was at hand. You see Jesus's or excuse me John's entire ministry was was the purpose of his ministry was to point to Christ like a signpost marking the way this way, John's ministry was one of preparation, preparing the people with the knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of sin, the need to turn away from sin and turn to God. And teaching the people, uh, verse 70, 78, of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall, shall visit us from on high. This was the purpose of John's ministry, this is how he was in many, many respects, like the, the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he speak, speaks of the tender mercies of God. What a wonderful picture we see here in verse 78 of God's full, God's full tender and tender mercy. God is so gentle toward his wayward people. The sun, sunrise is coming. And this is an allusion to the Messiah who would come. Remember, the people are at this point in, in dark gloom. But the sun is rising. Morning is coming. The gloom of people, sin had ravaged humanity. And so this was a time of spiritual darkness. And what chases away the darkness? The light. If you were to get up when it was dark, maybe some of you do. You get up before the sun rises. You get an early start to your day. You get up, and maybe if there's no moon, you go out, it's very dark. But as you watch the sun rise, you also watch the world around you begin to change. It's actually quite a wonderful experience to see. Because the light chases away the darkness. The darkness can't remain. The light must overtake it. Well, this is what Jesus has done. Hope has dawned in Christ. No longer must we walk in the gloomy doldrums of guilt and shame. Christ has shined his light upon us, the sun has risen from on high. And John's role was to prepare the people for the morning, which was to dawn. He was to point to the Savior who would, verse uh, 79, give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah's son John came to point to the light. There it is, behold the light came to point to Jesus. Jesus came to bring light to those who were stuck in darkness, sitting in death's shadow. Now, this is actually a meta- another metaphor, which pictures a group of travelers who, before reaching their desti- destination, are overcome with darkness. And darkness, which was like a pitch-black night. I think I've told this story before of foolishly going out and when I was in seminary. I didn't bring a flashlight. This was up in the mountains of Colorado you know, you wonder if there's mountain lions prowling about. It wasn't a very good idea. I could not see a thing. It was just darkness. Overcome with darkness. Well, that's the picture. If you you were stuck in darkness like that, you you would be afraid. Sitting, exposed, unable to see. And so in the metaphor, these, these travelers, they're powerless and afraid. At any moment, you may be overcome by a wild beast. You can be overcome by robbers. These are strangers in a strange land who are disoriented, blind, and unprotected. And what they need is light. What they need is salvation. And what Zechariah sings of is that this has happened. For suddenly comes a bright light that shows the way so that they may reach their destination in peace and safety and then can enjoy rest. This is the metaphor. This is really the metaphor of the Christian life, is it not? Those who were previously sitting in darkness in the shadow of death have been given light guiding us to the way of peace, being guided to the way of peace in Christ who is our peace. Without Christ, mankind is in awful darkness, hopeless, blind like those lost in the pitch black night, distressed with the miseries of this life. And there's much to be distressed of in this life, isn't there? There are many miseries. Danger all about, death. Isn't that really what all people face ultimately? Isn't that the constant companion of every single person here? Death will come. All are sitting in the shadow of death. This is no friend. Death is no friend. This is an enemy. The coming of Jesus into the world is like light which comes and illuminates the way to peace with God. What What a wonderful picture that is, isn't it? Isaiah nine two: the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shown. Zechariah is drawing on a number of Old Testament themes which contrast light and darkness. The situation of the world was grim, all being sinners separated from God, Darkness reigning. There is no peace. As humans without Christ continue under God's judgment. But God because God is holy and a righteous judge, but He has brought forth the way to peace. He has provided light in dark places. He has raised a horn of salvation from the house of David. God has brought a great light into this miserable world of darkness. And slaves to sin have been set free in Christ. All things are being made new. So Zacharias, as he sings this song, sings of the Savior who is coming and was even at that moment in the womb of Mary. And here on the occasion of the birth of his son, John, he foretells of the work that he would do as the prophet, crying in the wilderness, pointing to the way, to the light of the world who takes away sin. And those who walk in the light of Jesus no longer walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Luke, as he concludes the story of John's birth, records that John grew and became his, became strong in spirit and was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So John grew to be a prophet that his father said that he would be and pointed the way to the Redeemer who would come. The Son of God who was born in an even more spectacular way. The Horn of Salvation would come to set His people free. The Horn of Salvation which John himself joyfully pointed to. I started by speaking of the worries that we have in the world. I May I ask you this rhetorical question? Are you worried? Are you worried about what's happening in this world? Are you worried about our nation? Do you feel hopeless? Maybe bringing this a little closer to home and into your own heart, as you look at your own life, as you look at the sin in your own life, you see all the ways you fall short of God's standards. Do you think, I'm not worthy to be called a Christian? God could not possibly accept me. I am such a wretched sinner. Look at my life. Look, My life is a mess. First of all, I want you to know that you're not alone. You share the fallen human condition with everyone else here. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is the reason not only for the mess in your own life but for the mess that exists in our world when things aren't going our way it's easy for us to become troubled in our spirits and to become anxious but listen carefully beloved congregation Christians are not a people without hope Christians are not a people without hope. What Zechariah sings of here, and what the whole of the Scriptures declare, is the comfort of the Gospel. The whole of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the story of God's redeeming His people. God's rescuing of His wayward people from His own holy and righteous wrath. The Lord has promised over and over again that He would be their God and they would be His people. This is the promise, that we would be God's people. And God has fulfilled those promises, the covenant that He made with Abraham, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Zechariah declares this to the people of this day. God is still at work. God is still redeeming people. The sun has risen over the horizon and is chasing away the darkness of sin. Salvation has come. It is now for His people. Today is the day of salvation. All, for all those who trust and rest in Him. And so I urge you to repent of your sin trust in Christ alone for your salvation. God has worked and is, is now working to set His people free from bondage to sin. Jesus sets the captives free. You and I can rest in that. Find your rest in Him. This is the redemption the world needs. Know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Trust and rest in Him for the salvation of your souls. For in Him is the way of mercy. In Him is the path of peace so that the world may fulfill the great purpose that all people have to bring glory to God and find joy in Him. Let's pray together. Father in Heaven, we thank You for this wonderful prophecy of Your Scriptures in Luke, the song of Zechariah. We thank You for the connection it makes to all of the promises of the Old Testament we thank You that all the, the totality of Scripture points us to the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You that by faith, through the transforming work of Your Spirit, You have made us Your children, that we are heirs of Your promises, adopted and beloved children. We thank you that you have clothed us in the righteousness of Jesus such that when we are in your presence and you look upon us, you're pleased, for you're pleased with your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have called us to worship you without fear, true holiness and righteousness. We thank you that Jesus has brought us peace. And we pray, God, that you would help us to rest. And find our comfort and joy in Him. We thank You. We praise You. In Jesus' name. Amen.